Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, We are in a series called Identity Crisis. And uh, what we're talking about is how do you, look, I'm rolling up my, I'm ready ready to preach right now, okay? (laughs) I'm not even playing. I'm not even playing. Uh, We were talking about where do you get your identity from? Where do you get your value from? Uh, Is it from maybe your family of origin? Is it from what you do for a living? Is it from uh, who your friends are, who, who, what friends you have, what friends you don't have? Uh, where do you get your identity from? And what we've been talking about throughout this series is uh, getting our identity from Christ alone. And so what I wanted to do this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Um, I'm, I normally preach about... Um, well, I'm going to preach for three minutes so we can get to the Super Bowl. No, I'm just kidding. We got. I, I normally preach uh, about four to six verses, but we're going to bust through 15 verses this morning. And uh, so I want you to put all your thinking caps on. And uh, I don't know why, Christy, but I'm having trouble with the slide. So I'm going to need you to advance that next one. So we installed uh, two new computers, and it's been the bane of my existence all week long. Uh, so uh, we're talking about how do, we, how do we do this? How do we get our identity uh, founded in Christ? Now, if I were to ask you this morning, if we had met in the, in the foyer, you can go back a slide. Is, this isn't working, so I don't know if Jonathan's here or not, but he can fix it for me. Um, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Uh, sorry. See, you make one little joke about the New England Patriots and everything goes to... Out, <laughs> Out the window. <laughs> there we go. All right. Yeah, I'm probably. <laughs> Jeez. That is so cold. All right. I don't preach with notes, so I have to be able to see my next slide because that's my notes. Thank you, sir. Super appreciate it. I don't know why it's not advancing. You are a good man. Thank you. But if I were to ask you in the lobby or whatever this morning, I said, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? You might just blow me off and go, yeah, I'm doing fine or whatever. But I don't know if you've ever had those friends or the people in your life where you say, how are you doing? And you say, oh, you know, great. And they say, how are you really doing? You have those friends? I go, how how are you really doing? And how you answer that all depends on your circumstances, doesn't it? Like you, probably in your mind, if you're like me, you think to yourself, okay, let's see, how am I doing? Okay, and you go through, uh, you know, uh, how, how's the job? Uh, how are the, fa- you know, the kids? How's my wife? Okay, uh, you know, on a scale of one to ten, how, how's my marriage going? Okay, okay, and then you'd say, then you'd either say back to your friend again, no, I'm, I'm doing fine, or you go, well, I have these issues. What I want to talk about this morning is the uncanny reality that you and your value and your identity is not based on your circumstances. So that I can come to you any day of any week and I can ask you how you're doing and you don't have to. Oh, yes. That is so nice. I love to be in control. I was just talking to somebody about that this morning and now I am. And it feels fantastic, right? But if you, could, if you could imagine what your life would be like, imagine if your circumstances didn't dictate your value. 
Your circumstances didn't dictate how you're doing. That what dictated your value and what dictated your, uh, uh, how you are doing is where you are in relation to your heavenly father. So I want to look in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, and we're going to be talking about um, where is God? We've been singing songs and doing all this stuff about um, um, just how great God is, how he's good, he's faithful, and all, all those things. But when we get to Romans 8, 22, there's this verse that, that should have you thrown back just a little bit. And here's what it says. We know That the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You do not have to look very far to realize that our world is broken. And we are broken people. And if we start out with that perspective... Because there's another theology that believes if you do the right thing and you have enough faith and you pray hard enough and you say the right things in the right order that things are going to go well for you. The Bible, that, that theology is foreign to the Bible. Paul comes right out of the chute and says all of creation is groaning. It's groaning. Right up to this present time. He goes on. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, we who have access to our Heavenly Father groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and I might add daughtership, the redemption of our bodies. I don't know about you. I've been a Christian for a long time, but oftentimes there is something in me, the Spirit of God, that groans and says, Dude, you're not over that yet. You're still dealing with that. I was joking with Lisa uh, earlier this week, and it's like, it's like, uh, so our, the sanctuary flooded yesterday. So I was here with a shop vac over in this area, uh, sucking up all the water. And then somebody said, oh, there's also a leak right here. And I'm like, la, 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 la. And then there was another leak in the the little uh, staircase and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, God, I said, I said, God, I don't have time for this. All right. And God said, what are you preaching on tomorrow? And I'm like, I'm preaching on all of creation groans. It's not our relationship with God, our, our, our Christianity, our, our, our church family. It is not dependent on a building. It's dependent upon the ecclesia, the gathering. And we can do it here. We can do it in a park. We can do it in homes. We can do it at the school. It doesn't matter. We are the church. And so he says, we, inside of ourselves, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Our identity is found in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, not circumstances. If you had asked me yesterday, how was I doing? I would have said, not very good. The church is like Noah's Ark right now. But the reality is, the truth of the matter is, I was doing great. I was doing great because I have a heavenly father that knows exactly what I'm going through. 
He knows exactly how to fix roofs. He knows exactly how to make rains come and go and do his thing. He knows exactly what he's doing. And if you are going through a a season in your life where you are groaning, (laughs) either in your own spirit or just, just feeling the pressure of the fact that we live in a broken world, your Heavenly Father will never, ever leave you or forsake you. And so he says this, For in this hope, this hope of adoption into sonship or daughtership, we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. And then now what Paul does is he, he, he has this rhetorical question. And, and throughout the next verses we're going to see, we're going to see a lot of rhetorical questions. In the Greco-Roman world that Paul was in right now, the rhetorical arguments were valuable arguments. If you were a rhetor, which is the person who is really good at asking rhetorical questions, you were highly valued. And Paul starts off with this rhetorical question. Who hopes for what they already have? A rhetorical question means you don't need to answer it. Nobody hopes for what they already have because they already have it. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There is something about the gospel that is a now but not yet. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's a now now but not yet. In other words, I can experience my relationship with my heavenly father. I can experience a relationship with Jesus. I can go through these um, difficulties that I'm going through. And yet there's still something greater on the other side. Eternity. But yet we don't just go, oh, I can't wait till I die and go to heaven and get wings and play a harp and jam around. There's something about experiencing that hope, that reality now, despite our circumstances. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our, what? Our weakness. Our weakness. What does that mean? It means that you are going to be and I am going to be weak. Turn to the person next to you and go, you're weak. See that? (laughs) He helps us in our weaknesses. And And then look what he jumps to. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But check this out. The Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Do you know what this means? This is so cool. This is so cool. Sometimes I'll talk to people. and they, they, Have you ever been in a group and somebody asks you to pray and you're nervous? Have you ever done that? you ever been nervous about praying? Because you don't like pray as good as some other people pray. Like you think, man, that was a really good prayer. I can't, I can't. I can't keep up with that. That was really good. And now they're asking me to pray. I don't even know what to pray. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no matter what you pray, the Spirit is interceding for you on your behalf. In other words, even if you have the greatest prayer in the whole wide world, it has all the thous and the these and the uh, goodeth and all, the, all that stuff. You're just tearing it up. The Holy Spirit's just like, that's horrible. Let me, 
let me help you out a little bit, right? So this means that when we're going through our circumstances and we're praying, God, help me, deliver me from this issue or deliver me from this circumstance, the Holy Spirit goes, no, 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 that's not quite what you want to pray right now. God's going to have you go through this for just a little bit longer because you're going to come out on the other side a different person and you just have to get through this. The Bible says it this way. Even though, or if you want to be fancy, yay, um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's pretty difficult times, right? I fear no evil. Why? You're with me. You're with me. The Bible almost promises you that you are going to have difficulty. There should be no shock. We, we don't serve a God that just winds us up as robots and, and, and it's all rainbows and skittles and unicorns. We live in a broken world and we're broken. But the good news is we have somebody on our side. This Holy Spirit that intercedes with wordless groans. In other words, our prayers are that important to God that he would have the Holy Spirit interceding to correct them and to align them with his will. Isn't that fantastic? You don't even, you could have been a Christian for two seconds and your prayers are just as good as mine because you have access to the same Holy Spirit who's interceding for you with with these wordless groans. It's amazing to me. Now watch this. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. The Holy Spirit is actually shaping and changing your prayers to align with God's will. Now, the next verse is very, very promising. But I just want to be very clear because sometimes this verse is taken out of context. And sometimes Christians dump this verse on each other because it makes the person dumping feel better. <laughs> Honestly, that's, that's usually why. But the promise is still there. And we know that in all things, in all things, not after all things, not when it's all tidied up, but right in the middle, in the thick of the stuff you're going through, the heartache the difficulty, the disappointment in it. God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. See, imagine, imagine you get to work and you don't like work and you don't like your co-workers and it's just, and yet all of a sudden there's this change of mind that I'm with my heavenly father right now in the midst of this. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He is with me in the darkness. His silence is not absence. He's there. He's with you going through it. And I know, and I know a lot of our stories, what you are going through right now is hard. It's difficult. It's family issues. It's health issues. It's financial issues. But he is there. Look what Paul says. Another rhetorical question. What then shall we say in response to these things? So let's review. We, we live in a broken world and, and we live with our own brokenness and we don't know how to pray 
And sometimes we groan just waiting for like, can we just get this over with? And the Holy Spirit groans on our behalf. And there's this tension and this sense of reality that hits us. And Paul says, because of all this, what what do we say then? And he says this incredible statement. And I want you to answer the question, even though it's a rhetorical one. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for you, how does Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi or the polar vortex, how can it have any impact on your life? Right? And so when I, when I take this, the reality of this, and I, and I say, wait a minute, my finances are going to get in my way? Like, I'm going to worry about my finances? If God is for me, who cares about my finances? My singleness, wanting to be married, maybe if you're single, and people have dumped on you that that's not a good identity to have, and they're trying to get you married and all that. that who, who can be against you? God is for you, and probably for you in your singleness. Your poverty, God is for you. Your marriage, God is for you. Your kids, you raise them and, and, and you're doing the best you can. And it turns out, go figure, they got a will of their own, right? <laughs> they don't just do exactly what they're told all the time. And so you, you, you go through this whole thing and you're, you're looking at all these other parents and you're thinking to yourself, how do they do that? How do their kids Walk perfectly down the, at, the, at the grocery store. And our kids are like, you know, like putting Crisco oil on it and like sliding along. Woo! You know, you're going, going all, all along. Or maybe it's something serious. Maybe your child's struggling with some issues. And it really hurts. If God is for you, why would that be your identity? My kid's life is off the rails. Or I didn't get the promotion if God, answer the question, if God is for you, who can be against you? Nobody. Not even you. <laughs> because oftentimes, don't you find that you're your worst enemy? That you're against you? You wake up, you step on the scale, and you go, failure, right? <laughs> Why did you have to have that donut last night? Like that one donut costs you 10 pounds, right? The next morning. If God is for you, nobody can be against you. Why would your coworkers send you into a thing? Why would Facebook for good night, Instagram, whatever, social media, you read one thing and it's like, oh, my whole life is... Well, God is for you. Who Who cares? Did I make that point? (laughs) Okay. He goes on. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, these are not all things that we want. (laughs) Okay? It's like, oh, Ferrari, Ferrari, Ferrari. That's all I know. Just get this in my driveway. That's all I need. No, all things that he's promised. He's Jehovah Jireh. He will provide for you. He is the Prince of Peace. 
You have access to that peace. Hebrews says Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. You have access to that joy regardless of your circumstances. Jesus hung on a cross, innocent, and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You have access to that forgiveness regardless of what anyone has done to you, uh, against you. He'll give you all those things if we allow him to. If we walk with him through the valley of the shadow of death. If we say, yes, my circumstances are terrible right now, but I have a good God that is walking with me. And I know he's going to see me through this situation. Watch this. Another rhetorical question. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Are you getting your identity out of what some other people who might be very important people think about you? Is that how you get your value? You know, maybe you're not as smart as your siblings or, you know, you, f- you figure it out. There's some way of measuring that you do, that you measure up or don't measure up. Answer the question, who will bring any charge against you? It's God who justifies. Now, he might have some correction He might have some things, but you are absolutely valuable to him. He absolutely holds you in high esteem. He asks this rhetorical question, who then is the one who condemns? Where do you get your value? Is it from your circumstances? Is it from some wacky family thing that your parents have decided what is valuable and what's not, and you've been living under that your whole life. Paul answers this question. Who then is the one who condemns? Two words. No one. No one. It is God who justifies. It is God who ascribes to you your value. If it can't, comes from a boyfriend, a spouse, a co-worker, you're missing it. They have no voice when it, as it pertains to your value. Your circumstances have no voice as it pertains to your value. Listen to this awesome imagery. I don't even know how to wrap my mind around this next verse. But... I don't know if you've been noticing, but through these verses, we've been seeing a theology we call the Trinity. You've seen God the Father represented in these verses. You've seen God the Spirit who intercedes with us with wordless groans. And you've seen Jesus. And look, look, at, look at this imagery. I don't even know what this is going to look like when I pass into the afterlife, but here it goes. Christ, Jesus, who died... And then I love this, more than that, who was raised to life, because that is kind of the, that's Easter, you know, just for the pros out there, uh, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Do you realize that your Savior, your Lord, is also your fan? He's sitting next to the right hand of the throne of God and he's interceding on your behalf. Going, man, I see so much in my daughter. 
I see so much in my son. Another rhetorical question. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who's going to do that? You say, John, you didn't, you don't, you didn't see, you didn't see uh, last weekend. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't my best weekend. Who's going to separate you from the love of Christ? Are you working on some stuff in your walk with God? Good. It's not going to have any bearing on the love that Christ has for you. You know what? I like to refer, like when I think about it, I think of it like my children. Okay? There have been times that, um, well, with one of them, that um, <laughs> where I'm just like, what? <laughs> what? It's Audrey, by the way. Um, <laughs> but does that change my love for them? See, it's so fascinating to me, uh, the heart of God, because like, I'll be like, oh man, what a knucklehead, what a knucklehead. And then if a teacher's like, your son's a knucklehead, I'm like, oh yeah? You want some right now? Because you don't talk, only I talk to him that way. You don't talk to him that way. Now, now, I'm flawed. I'm broken, right? How much more does your heavenly father say, man, I love you. I love you. Jesus loves you so much he died for you so that you could spend eternity with him. And eternity starts when? Now. He says, he's going to separate us from the love of Christ. Then, then listen, because Paul's promising this. Trouble, you'll, get, you'll have trouble. Hardship, you'll, you'll have hardship. Or persecution, maybe, I don't know. Depends on if you're doing your job right or not. Famine, probably don't have to worry about that. But if we did, and they asked, how are you doing? We would be doing fine in a famine. Because that famine is not going to separate me from the love that Jesus has for me. Nakedness, which for us, we, um, it's hard for us because we're not in a, a necessarily an honor and shame society. But this would be the equivalent of being shamed. Okay? So it, it'd be the, it's like, you could just insert Twitter. Uh, famine or Twitter uh, or danger. <laughs> I just thought of that now. I'm sorry. That was, I should have practiced that. Or sword. Now watch, watch this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know where your identity is found? It's found the closer you are to Jesus. He's not going to take away all your problems. I'm sorry. It's bad theology. Can he heal? Absolutely he can. And I've seen it. And when we can pray for healing. Does he give gifts? Lord, I prayed for a car and I got a car. Absolutely he does that. We don't count on it. We don't muster it up so that, oh boy, I'm just going to really ask harder this time and then finally he'll go. No, in it, in the hardship, in the trouble, in the famine, in the shamefulness, in the sword, we are more than conquerors because he's right there next to us. He goes on because he gets to this conclusion, this wonderful conclusion. 
He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, which I never want to see, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, in all of this broken, groaning, waiting, patiently creation for the redemption, the return of Jesus, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Somebody needs to say amen. I wrote this. I rewrote this verse. Neither height nor depth or Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi or government shutdowns or polar vortex, which I just think is cool anyway, or fluctuations in the market or Bill Belichick will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Bill Belichick might be able to depending on what uh, defense he's running, but uh, we all just won't worry about that. No, this is, this is the whole verse right here. Romans 8.38. Guys, this is such a big game changer for us as we head into the coming weeks. Can we? I know it's hard and I know it takes practice. But can we engage a situation that we, we want to change and we're praying for it to change? And can we go, if God is for me, what is this job going to do against me? What is this neighbor? What is this politician? What is this situation? What is this, this economy going to do to me? It can't do anything. I am more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ in the midst of these issues.